I'm Byron Harris, and this is When I Got Here, immigrant stories from all over the world from Literacy Achieves. When Mylin Wong and her family escaped from Vietnam, pirates robbed the fishing boat they were on three times. The year was 1979. The Vietnam War was over. She was six years old. Her homeland was now communist, and her father knew their well-being was threatened. Father, mother, and four siblings packed into a boat with more than a hundred others. The goal, to reach an island refugee camp off the coast of Malaysia. We were just sitting like shoulder to shoulder. The women were down the lower deck, I remember. I remember dark, like darkness in the sea. We were in the sea for seven days. And I remember looking out and the horizon, all I can see is just dark bluish, black, almost water. Our boat was robbed three times by Thai pirates. The last robbery uh, took our only food source, which was rice. What the pirates were really after was jade, or any jewelry the refugees were wearing. The Asian women wear a lot of jade bracelet because it brings them fortune and luck. If you see the jade bracelet, my mom wears her and we didn't have food, so she was so skinny that she was able to take her off and she hung on a nail and on the bottom of the boat. Further down, there was a lady who could not take hers off and she was just screaming bloody murder. And just, she couldn't, she was, because she couldn't take her, her jade bracelet off. And all I remember is this machete coming down. And then my mom just took a big old blanket and just covered me. And I just, I can still hear her, her scream, you know, it's very distinctive. I don't remember the faces of the pirates. I just remember that motion. That was my, my memory of it, my recollection. I remember there was a lot of domestic violence on the island. The Bidong Island refugee camp was not a welcoming place. The Malaysian government would shoot at the boats that was coming in to deter them from coming. So there were people that passed away, and there is a memorial in that island that for people that passed away because they were shot at, because they didn't want any more refugees. So those people either went to Indonesia or the Philippines or Hong Kong or other places. But that was one of the biggest tragedy that happened. As in refugee camps everywhere, living conditions were spare. At one point, 40,000 people crowded into an area the size of a few football fields. They just had like kind of warehouse buildings. And they would have literally planks, wooden planks like this just across the, throughout the, the, the warehouse, I call it warehouse, but a building. And each, depending on how big your family is, each family have a section of the, you know, the, the wooden planks, and you put all your belongings underneath, so everybody has to be there. Somebody has to be there all the time, or else, you know, you get things well, um, stolen. I remember that there was not any kind of toilet station or anything. You have to basically go out in the, up in the mountain. They have an area for refugees to use. I remember sleeping all, like, we were sleeping like sardines, like, 
seven of us. There's my mom and dad and my five, my four sibling and I, and we were just like sleeping like on planks until we earn enough money. Uh, my mom start uh, making bean sprout out of the be of mung bean and sand because she was very resourceful. We would grow it and sell it at the local market. And we earned enough money for a little hut that we were able to afford to rent and stay there until we were sponsored. And we would sell, my mom would sell um, bean sprouts. They lived this way for 14 months. It was quite different from their life in pre-war Vietnam, where her father owned several businesses, including a restaurant and an ice company. In the refugee camp, he had to scrape to survive. And my dad just get odd job, whatever, you know, manual labor. At that time, he was 50 years old. And my mom is in her 40s, early 40s. What I love about my dad was that he was definitely a man resilient and rejoiceful. That's what I would describe my dad. He came from rag to rich to rag and still has such a great attitude. When he came here to the U.S., we, we, he refused to get hand out from the government because he said, as long as I have hand and feet, I will work. And he literally worked almost three jobs to put food on our table. The stress was far more than physical. They were separated from their home and their language. When you don't understand something, a part of you feel lost as a refugee. And I think for me, even as a child, I felt lost. Until I was able to understand a little bit, because you are extracted from what you know as home, and you're placed in a place that is foreign to you in every, every way from the weather, to the culture, to the appearance of a person, to what, is, what they eat, how they sound. It's a huge disconnect for any refugee or anyone who comes from a different country. We were at the refugee camps for about 14 months. Um, we have a choice to go to Australia or France or the U.S because they were the countries that were accepting Vietnamese refugee at that time. But if you want to come to the U.S., you have to wait a little longer versus Australia and France. My dad wanted to come to the U.S. because that's where he felt like his family and his children would have the most opportunity for a betterment of life. President Jimmy Carter expanded the American allotment for Vietnamese refugees from seven to 14,000 a month. My Lynn and her family were sponsored by Catholic Charities of Richmond, Virginia. When we first came to Richmond, Virginia, we stayed there for about two years, and I didn't speak a lick of English. I learned English from a young lady named Shawanda Green, who taught me English, because English is my third language. I speak Vietnamese and Cantonese. All I knew was, what is this? And I start pointing at the alphabet, and she would teach me English that way, she was like A, B, 
See, and then that's how I spoke. I spoke very soulful the first two years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> she was African-American. All my friends was African-American, but you know, when you're a child, you don't see colors, you just see them as your friends, you know? Yeah. When people ask me what I speak, I say, I speak a little everything. I speak a little soul, a little country. I don't, I don't hear my Southern accent until I go up North and I would say, turn on the lights. And then my friend was like, what is the lights? <laughs> And I like the lots. <laughs> I am grateful for her starting to introduce me to language. Language, I think, is so important. It is, it is a freedom. It's a part of your journey to not only acclimate to a culture, um, but it is communication, basic communication. The family moved to Dallas, and the children were immediately enrolled in school at the direction of her father. He believed in education so strongly that back in Vietnam, he had paid for neighborhood children to attend classes. For someone who didn't have a real formal education, he was a true believer in how education will help with your, the betterment of your life. In school, she was recognized as a good student. But because her parents worked long hours, her teachers sometimes took their place. I remember in middle school, Miss Jacks, who was my U.S. history teacher. And I remember receiving an award from DISD for, I don't know what accomplishment, but and my parents couldn't come to my award ceremony and she took me because my parents were working. I just thought that was so kind of her to have, you know, shown a girl who felt like she never belonged at that moment. I felt like, wow, this is how it feels to care for someone who you don't know but just genuine kindness. So I give a lot of props to all the teachers that I've had had in my life. I think they have been like true pillars of what it means to give of yourself selflessly. And of course, they're very much underappreciate, underpaid. And I think that's where any child will have their first experience is, is a kindness that a teacher shown to a child. They're, the teacher has to be so many things, right? They have to be a teacher, they have to be a parent, they have to be a counselor. So many things wrap into one purposeful uh, and selflessly vocation that not everyone has the ability to undertake. Mylin won a scholarship to UT Austin and launched a business career. But the kindnesses she was gifted in her early years here are deeply embedded in her life. She is a founder of the Orchid Giving Circle, a group of 80 Asian American women in Dallas who raise money to help other Asians in North Texas. In the last eight years, the Orchid Giving Circle has given $1.3 million to nonprofits here. One of them is Literacy Achieves, where we teach English to immigrants. If you are going to live in this country, or any country that you're going to live in, it's very important for you to, to not just assimilate, but acclimate yourself to the language of that land. 
because there is an in your life there's so much barriers when you don't know the language because you are now dependent on someone else to be your voice and your voice is lost when you don't know the language the mission of the orchid giving circle dovetails with her upbringing we all have the common heart and love of wanting to give back to our community and especially supporting those who a lot of people think that the Asian American community does not need support which is a misconception because we like any minority group are still has a lot of challenges and struggles as you know you know the Asian hate crimes has increased greatly the last couple years due to the pandemic so we are doing our best to help mitigate those kind of challenges as we forge ahead. I think that when you are an immigrant, you know how it is to be without so many things, without resources, without education, without family, without friends. I'm speaking for those who's, you know, maybe alone or being immigrant is a life without and to be a place where you can close that little window for those who are here that are without and help them fill their life with more meaning by supporting them helping them in whatever way i think that's to me is 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 what i feel like is most important to me but i do strongly believe that because I'm an immigrant I know how it is to be without food I know how it is to be to not have things and I know how it is to also be resourceful and to be resilient and to be rejoice like my dad You've been listening to When I Got Here a production of Literacy Achieves in Dallas, Texas. I'm Dion Kirby, CEO We provide English literacy programs to hundreds of immigrant and refugee families from all over the world. We help them, we celebrate them. We invite you to tell us your immigrant stories at literacyachieves.org. Tune in next month for another episode of When I Got Here.